the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Season. Um, so things we'll cover today, Charlie. The Roos start their premiership defence without their three big recruits. The Cats, with a new coach, hit some good form again, led by spearhead Larry Donahue. And the Hawks are d- determined to make amends, dedicating their whole season to the little fella, Peter Crimmins. Ah, of course. So welcome, welcome, Charlie. Back yes, it's good to be back. Back in 1976, getting stuck into this the top top five here. Yeah. It's still weird talking about a top five. It's yeah, it's quite mm. odd, isn't it? But anyway, onward and upward. Yes, as we say. Speaking so, of onward and upward. Yes. Well, <laughs> let's run through those uh, those non-finalists first. So just to, as a refresher. Just to remember who finished last. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So twelfth on the ladder at the very bottoms, getting that wooden spoon. Were Collingwood with six wins and sixteen losses. Eleventh <sighs> Fitzroy, tenth Essendon. Uh, ninth St Kilda and 8th South Melbourne, all three of those with nine wins. Richmond, 7th with 10 wins. And Melbourne, just missing out on finals. Heartbreakingly close. Uh, just two points shy, unfortunately, with 11 wins. And so that leads us to 5th and our first finals position being Footscray, those doggies, those Western Bulldogs, with 11 wins and 10 losses. That one draw. Yes, of course. Yes, ninety-six point eight percent. Coached by Bill Goggin and captained by Laurie Sandler. Yes, so Billy Goggin replacing Bob Rose as coach. Um, Bill Goggin obviously being a post-past Cats player. Um, yes. Interestingly enough, the Dogs also tried to get Des Tudman across the captain side. Ah. Went, went back to Collingwood, as I think we said earlier. Um, he also, Goggin also enticed former Cats, Ken Newland and Ian Hampshire, to come across and join the Dogs, so using his connections there with the Yeah, cats. nice. Love that. Um, some debutantes include Mick Kelly and Albie Smeds, but let's go to their season. So their first win was against Melbourne in round two at the MCG. Game started at an even first quarter. The Dogs kicked 13 goals straight, though, across the next two quarters, and the Demons just couldn't keep up with them. Kelvin Templeton was six. Round three, the Dogs took on South Melbourne. The Dogs' ruckman Gary Dempsey was in trouble early, copying a kick in the throat, which caused him some trouble. Swans took control following this, but just when the Swans thought they had the game in control, the Dogs kicked nine straight goals before Dempsey was again knocked out. So he didn't really end the wars, but he, he played on. Yeah. Uh, Templeton kicked seven, and the Dogs won by 39. Jeez, Templeton's off to a flyer. Didn't he? Round five, the Doggies brushed aside the ageing Tiger champions with more systematic, precise play of football. Uh, in round six, Footscray almost threw this game away against the Saints when it didn't make the most of the wind in the third quarter. Luckily for the Dogs, the Saints were equally as disappointing in the last with the wind. Uh, the winner for the Doggies was Teddy Whitten Jr., who came on and danced through a pack to snap the winning goal. Dogs up by five points there. Round seven, the Dogs won over the Cats, which was thanks to Captain Laurie Sanderlands, who blanketed league-leading goal kicker Larry Donahue, keeping him to just one goal. Dogs winning by two. Calvin Templeton again prominent with five goals too. Oof. Round nine was a 10-point win over the Pies at Waverley. Against the 
Blues in round 11. The Dogs led for the whole game. Gary Dempsey giving Percy Jones an absolute bath in the ruck, and they won that by 17. But just when we thought the Doggies were up and about, they had four straight losses. <coughs> in round 16, the Dogs dominated the Tigers early in their round 16 match at Waverley, leading by 43 points at the four-minute mark of the third quarter, but the Tigers came back into this match to eventually only go down by five points. Quinlan and Templeton were the best for the Dogs with four each. Uh, in round 20, I love this, and you'll love this too, Charlie. Mm-hmm. The Dogs' cheer squad taunted the Pies pre-game with their uh, banner reading, Born with a wooden spoon in their mouth. <laughs> I wonder if uh, Danny McGinley, no, he would have been too... When he been born. No. Um, he's definitely seen that. <laughs> Kelvin Templeton kicked four goals in the first to set up a win. The game was also packed with spite. And according to the age, probably set a record for the number of missed kicks and bad hand passes, fumbles and drop marks. But the Doggies won by 25. Nice. Round, tw- <laughs> round 21. The match between Footscray and Fitzroy at Waverley was the first match to provide the two lowest scores of the season. Oh, really? The Dogs winning a very... Very poor game, with the final score being Footscray 4 goals 11-35 to Fitzroy 3 goals 16-34. Players from both teams were jeered, with many supporters walking out in disgust. The Dogs won, Alan Stone kicking the winning goal after the siren. Oh my God, okay. So (laughs) there was six goals kicked for the game. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Terrible. Round 22, just like the seasons 44 and 45, the Dogs needed to, well, not lose to Carlton in the final round to make finals. Yeah. Um, they'd beaten the Blues by... They hadn't beaten the Blues at Prince's Park for 12 years. Uh, the Dogs played magnificent football for three quarters, but just before time on in the last, they led by three points, and the Blues hammered away at the goals, but could only score points. The last scoring shot was touched just before it crossed the line by Bernie Quinlan, meaning the game ended in a draw, and the Doggies were in the finals. That's huge. So touched on the line. In the dying seconds, yeah. Whew. I mean, and that's the one that would have got Melbourne into the Yes. Final. Quinlan! Mm. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Like that it happened that way too. Yeah. They would have been raucous in the crowd. Well, if you remember, the, I think it was the 44 final series, the Doggies had to make finals by beating Carlton in the last game and they kicked the goal after the sirens That's to make right. finals. Huge. Yeah. Love it how that happens. Mm. It's amazing. Um, yes, so yeah, big season for, for Footscray there. So the lead g- goal kicker, you'd be no surprise that it was Kelvin Templeton with 82 goals uh bernie quinlan the next closest with 34 yeah um and the charles sutton medal in 1976 went to gary dempsey for the fourth time in a row fifth time overall yeah huge looking good the man (laughs) uh so moving up into uh top four now and in fourth spot we have geelong with 12 wins 10 losses so coached by rod olsen And captained by Bruce Nankervis. Yeah, so first time Geelong had had an outside coach since 1936 when Charlie Ditch took over. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time. Um, Debutants include Murray Whitcomb and Colin Nish. Cats were the better team in their opening match shootout with the Swans. Sam Newman was the most influential man on the ground, and the Cats were well served by Larry Donoghue with seven goals. Cats won by four points, with both teams scoring their biggest opening round score in VFL history. The final score in this match being 25-7, 157 to 23-15, 153. So an absolute goal fest there, Charlie. Yeah, wow. Round two was another successful outing this time at the sake of the Tigers, who had no counter for Larry Donoghue, who left Dick Clay in the dust. Um, LD kicked six there. Ian Nankervis was also great in his new role in the back pocket. Cats by 48. 
Round four, banged up David Clark, playing with sore shoulders and strapped up ankles, led Geelong to a win over the Lions with 22 kicks and eight marks. Round five, it was again Ian Nankervis, who had who was the outstanding player for the Cats, this time in a great win over the reigning Premier's North Melbourne. Playing in the back pocket again, he collected 24 kicks, eight marks, and even managed a goal late in the day. Cats winning this game by a goal. They then travelled to Victoria Park to play the Pies in round six, and they allowed the Pies back into the game after starting well. Uh, late in the last quarter, the Pies took a one-point lead, which was about the 20-minute mark, but the Cats, led by Larry Donoghue, who kicked five goals, um, made a good comeback of itself, made it a contest, and Sammy Newman kicked the winning goal. Nice. by one straight kick. Round seven, the Dogs, coached by ex-Cat Billy Goggin, led the Cats by 26 points at the three-minute mark of the last quarter, but led by that man again, Larry Donoghue, kicked three goals, one in the last quarter to finish with six. They stormed to take the lead at the 23-minute mark and held off a fast-finishing Bulldogs outfit to win by two points. The Cats then took on ladder leaders Carlton at Cardinia Park in round nine and fell behind by seven goals. However, sorry, fell behind by seven points, I should say. However, with five goals, five in the last quarter, the Cats earned a hard-fought 20-point win. Donahue with 3-4 and Paul Serra also prominent. Round 10, it was the Larry Donahue show again. <laughs> surprise, um, surprise. He had eight kicks for the day. Eight, eight goals. goals. Yep. Yeah, in a 29-point win over the Ds. Round 12, the Cats absolutely tore shreds off the Swans at Cape Cardinia Park. Uh, Cats kicked 23 goals, 17 to beat the Swans by 104 points. That man, Larry Donahue, 17 marks, 19 kicks, six goals, sorry, nine goals, six on the board. But it wasn't enough for the best on ground. That went to Mickey Turner. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, round 15, the Cats were 64 points up at the start of the last quarter against the Saints, but allowed the Saints to kick five goals to reduce the final margin to 39. So because of this, Ron Olsen coach said, right, lock the doors to the rooms, and he went, went absolutely through the players after the game for letting them back into the game, um, telling them not to do it again. Yep. Probably in nicest terms I'm putting it in there. <laughs> Round 17, the Cats took a good 36-point lead against the Pies at halftime at Cardinia Park. However, the Pies hit back and should have rocketed ahead. They had 20 shots on goal in the third quarter, with 13 of them going through the wrong sticks. They reduced the margin to 13 points. Then in a tight last quarter, it was, Ro- it was Rover Paul Serra who took a diving mark and kicked the goal to give his side a six-point win. And round 22, the Cats got the better of the Hawks in the final game of the season. Although there was never much in the game, the focus on this was trying to get Larry Donahue to his 100th goal for the year. He did yep. five at the start of the match. He kicked four by the 11-minute mark of the third quarter. Huge. He then proceeded to have four shots on goal which meant every time he did, the police would you know, get ready to stop the crowd from coming on or just making sure it was safe, but he couldn't actually kick the goal. Oh. Yeah. Cats by 25, and they're back in the finals for the first time since 1969. So if you ended on 99... End of the home and away season, the but they the finals. Yeah, end of the home and away season on 99. So sorry, first time back in the finals since when did you say, Timmy? 69. Nice, yeah. nice. So all the fruits of um, Polly Farmer's work. Yep, someone else's now... Getting, yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting to enjoy. Uh, so, the lead goal kicker at Geelong, I mean, <laughs> Larry Donahue, obviously, with, uh, as we just said, 99 uh, with 105 for the whole season, I should say. And the Kaji Greaves medal in 1976 went to Ian Nankervis uh, for the second time. Yeah. Not surprising. No. He's... He said, you know, Bruce has two, I better get my second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that leads us up the ladder to third place where we have the reigning Premier's North Melbourne. Uh, 
Uh, so sitting there with 15 wins and seven losses. So there's a, the cream has certainly risen to the top. Three wins between uh, third and fourth. Yeah, all right. Some, some debutants. We've got Gary Gray, which is a very efficient use of letters. <laughs> Xavier Tanner. Crackers Keenan's come across from the D's. Yes. And Adrian Gallagher has come from Footscray and also previously of Carlton. Interesting to note that they've lost. So their trio of signings in that era from when they from 73 when they signed on have all left so Barry Davis has gone back to assistant coach at Essendon Doug Wade's retired and John Rantel's back at South yeah so without those three but you know got a good base to keep building huge losses but guys who were getting on in Absolutely. the years right so you can't you're not building a I mean they built that premiership team around them yes. but you're not building a dynasty around them no yeah no. You, you never signed them for that no. no you were signing them for the trophy right yeah. so yeah yeah, yeah. Round one, North unveiled their first ever premiership flag in front of a home crowd treated to free wine, 250 marching girls and a 50-piece RAAF band bought in just for the occasion. Very nice. The Kangaroos rode the emotion on this to lead at the first change in their game against the Ds, but after that it was all Melbourne. Half the side who had played the winning grand final were missing, but they still racked up the lowest score in league in the league that afternoon for round one and ended the first round in last place. Wow. Get on the D's. Yeah. Um, with further losses to the Hawks and the Tigers, it took until round four for North to notch up their first win, which was a strong win over the Saints. New recruit Crackers Keenan kicking five goals in just his third game for the club. Very similar to last season started. They lost the first five. That's right. Five, so wouldn't be panic stations yet, but I'll tell you who wouldn't be happy. No, well, yeah. For us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the Roos got their second win of the season over a poor Fitzroy by 72 points in round six at Arden Street. Malcolm Blight with five goals, five, and Johnny Burns with 31. The Roos started their round eight game against the Dogs on fire with seven goals, three to no score on the board at quarter time. Mickey Nolan and Barry Cable were dominant as the Roos sped, spread the goals between nine different players and won comfortably. Um, in the next round against Essendon, the Dons led the Roos by five points at three-quarter time, and the Bombers had all the momentum. They had the wind, and North were down to 17 players after Ross Henshaw broke his collarbone. However, North were able to grind away to earn a miracle win by four points, which had President Alan Aylett jumping up onto a table in the rooms afterwards, telling the players, remember today, lock it in your hearts, never forget this day. Nice. Round 10 is definitely a game you've heard of, Charlie. It's a game that's gone down in history. Ah, Yes. Against the Blues at Princes Park, the Blues started well with five goals to the Kangaroos' two, and at the halfway mark, they were, the Blues were 27 points clear. But the Roos fought back to be within 15 points at three-quarter time. But Carlton again controlled the ball in the last quarter. But then up steps Malcolm Blight. He kicked two goals in as many minutes with only a few minutes left on the clock to reduce the margin to just one point. And the latter goal of that was actually controversial itself because Blight was paid a mark, but it had clearly bobbed off McClure's um, forearms. Oh, yep, okay. As the seconds ticked away, the Blues looked likely until flight-out Fox Mark McClure to tighten his grip on a pass from Mark Dawson. And as he went back to take his kick, the siren sounded. He was going to be required to kick a booming 85 to 90 metre shot to seal the match for the Blues. Malcolm Blight has got the ball at centre-half forward. 28 minutes gone. The crowd's gone mad. The siren. the siren's gone. No, Blight will have to take his kick. Now Blight would have to kick this. Oh, he'd have to kick it 85, 90 metres. But he's going to have a kick, all right. It's not over yet. Not over yet. What drama here at Prince's Park. 
He went back and his kick was one of the most sensational of all time, being long enough to make the distance and high enough to pass over the outstretched hands of Carlton's def- uh, defenders. Malcolm Blight, it's a big kick. It's a mammoth kick. Not surprisingly, it was the welter of stunned players and hysterical North supporters. Blight was cheered off the ground. That is so big. Mm. Yes. I mean, yeah. Everyone so knows this is story. when it happened. Yeah. 76. Um, round 11, North beat South with four quarters of very fast, occasionally brilliant and always tough pressure football. Blight and Cable with the standouts with three goals each and a 26-point win. In round 12, the Kangaroos demoralised the Demons at the VFL Park with some of the slickest handballs and surest handballing seen this season to win by 85 points. It was Oof. even so good that Ron Barassi was caught smiling. Oh, unheard of. Crackers was best on ground with 17 kicks, 21 hand hitouts, and 9 marks. In round 14, St Kilda had hold of North Melbourne at one stage in the third quarter of their game at Moorabbin, but Barassi switched Brent Crosswell to full forward where he swung the game with two goals amidst a six-goal burst by the Kangaroos. They held on to win 17 points despite John Burns playing with a suspected broken arm and Crackers Keenan with an ankle injury. In round 15, Malcolm Blight was again the hero for the, t- the Kangaroos. With the Tigers a point ahead in the dying moments, it was Blight again who kicked the winning goal as the Roos won by five. North then crushed fellow finals aspirants Geelong in round 16 at Arden Street. Keith Gregg, Xavier Tanner and John Burns were on top all day, leading the Roos to a 67-point win. Shimmer with six, Crosswell with five, Cowton with four. In round 17, North was 47 points up and cruising against the Lions before they collapsed in a heap and actually let the Lions come back and took the lead five minutes into the last quarter. They won by 17 points in the end, but Coach Ron Barassi promised that this game would be the last time he ever praises his team. Hasn't he promised that before? Yeah, I think he has. (laughs) In round 18 against Collingwood, the Roos got their first win at Victoria Park in 13 years and won their fifth straight game. Barry Cable kicking the goal to level the scores, although Pies supporters will argue it was touched. Oh, and as a result, showered the umpires in the sea of beer cans post-game. Um, a few behinds earned them a four-point win. Uh, round 19, the Dogs fought valiantly against the much stronger Roos, and although they held the Roos to one behind in the last quarter, they just couldn't get over the line. Roos by 11, mostly thanks to the, uh, the Kangaroos defenders in Ramsey, Dench, Gumbleton, Cowton, Byrne. The Roos won over the Bombers in round 20, was their first since... It was the first time since 1958 that the Roos had beaten the Bombers twice in a season. Okay, yeah. It took 10 of North's players to kick 14 goals for the match. Roos by 26 there. Um, now, following the round 20 match, Ron Barassi, and this is also the week leading up to that final, the night final, the Wills Cup final. Oh, yes. So in the week leading up to that, Ron Barassi was involved in a serious car accident, driving back from a sportsman's night in Hamilton. So he and St Kilda Brownlow medalist Neil Roberts were in a car... Um, Coming back from Hamilton, back to Melbourne, they went around a bend too fast and the car left the road and it slammed straight into a tree. They were stuck in the car for 20 minutes before passers-by rescued them. Uh, Roberts had broken his leg and um, they were taken straight to Geelong Hospital. Ron suffered internal damage and was rushed to surgery to remove a ruptured spleen. Jeez. He also suffered a fractured rib, bruised lungs and torn knee ligaments. He wanted to coach that week, but the doctors and coaches and people wouldn't allow it. So Ray Slug Jordan had to take over for the 20, round 21 match against the Blues at Waverley. Barras did send a video message, though, that North lost by eight goals. I think not due to Ron Barassi not being there, I think because they played that midweek match against Hawthorne yeah. in Adelaide as well. Yeah, yeah, huge. Uh, round 22, Barassi was back in charge for the game against South Melbourne. Um, he had crutches and sometimes he had a little cart to drive out to the ground as well at training. I think he was on crutches for this game. 
Um, so he'd spent 10 days in hospital. The Roos were stretched early, but a six-goal three to six behind third quarter set up the win as the Roos won by 37 points. A confident team now heading into finals. Yeah. Got to be careful about these little um, lapses, though, North, don't they? It seems like it's, they've let teams back in quite a few times this season. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at North Melbourne this year was Shima, Wayne Schimmelbush with 43, Malcolm Blight just behind him with 35. And the Sid Barker medal in 1976 went to David Dench for the second time. Quite a gap, though. Last one was five years before. Yeah, okay. So well, I mean, if you think about who's come into the club in, in those five years. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the, th- the the few between him were Ken Montgomery, Barry Davis, John Rantel, and then Barry Davis again. So, yeah. Good point. Yeah. So, uh, onward and upward, up that ladder to the Hawks. Flying high in the second spot with 16 wins, 6 losses and 114.2%. So coached by uh, Jack Kennedy and captained by Don Scott. Yep. Um, some debutants include... Some debutants include Peter Murname and Rodney Heed. Yes, so the Rocket. Uh... Rocket began his senior football career with Glenorchy in 1975, where he made an immediate impact, uh, being coached by the great Peter Hudson, uh, and he caught the eye of mainland talent, talent scouts and voted, was voted the best first-year player in the TFL. So he moved to Hawthorne the following year and went on to be a tremendous performer for the Hawks in 229 games over the course of the next 12 seasons. When AFL Taz announced its Tasmanian Team of the Century in June 2004, Rocket was named at right centre wing. The following year he was inducted as an inaugural legend in Tasmanian football's official Hall of Fame. So in 76, there was a sense of destiny about the club. They needed to avenge last year's loss and also to do it for the little fella, Peter Crimmins. Yeah. Um, just a bit of an update on him. Um, all right, so Peter Crimmins had spent... He began the year in hospital. He underwent some more surgery. Um, he had a third of his lung removed, but things looked worse and worse and got yeah. worse as the year progressed. Um, as you said, Don Scott officially now the captain, Lee Matthews vice-captain, and David Parkin returned to the club from Perth, was now assistant coach to John Kennedy. Oh, what a combination. Absolutely. Yeah. The season began well with a win over the Saints at Moorabbin. Despite the Saints coming home strongly, the Hawks still won comfortably by 22 points. And this brought the Hawks to an engagement with Nemesis North Melbourne at Princess Park. Uh, Kennedy made it plain to the players they needed to atone for the grand final loss last year. Um, one of the things levelled at the players following last year's grand final loss was that they tanked, they'd um, like played dead in the last quarter because... Remember how North Melbourne kicked uh, nine yeah. goals in the last quarter, so and ran away. How yeah. did they win that easily? They must have been they must have been paid. Really, we haven't had that excuse for I a haven't long time, had that have for we? a long no. time. Um, anyway, there were some suggestions of that. They just they lost momentum. Well, yeah. Anyway, he's using and if you're trying if you're trying to cover up a tank, you don't just play dead. You no, don't exactly. let someone run away. Yeah. Anyway, he's using that for motivation. Yeah. The Hawks booted six goals straight in the first quarter, but North had matched them with five goals three. In the second, though, the Hawks put their foot to the floor and slammed on 8-2 to open up a handy break, which they maintained throughout the second half to win by 22 points. Michael Moncrief helped himself to seven goals, while Matthews bagged five. Peter Welsh, Rollings, Jones and Tuck all starred. In round three, the Hawks smashed the Pies by 88. Michael Moncrief kicking 10 goals, one. The Hawks' score of 25 goals, 22, 172 was just one point below their highest score, but it remains the club's highest ever score against Collingwood, I believe. The following week at VFL Park, the Hawks trailed third place foot at three-quarter time but came home strongly to win by two goals. 
In round five, they travelled to the Windy Hill, and after a close match, the Hawks motored away in the last quarter to win against the Bombers by 19. Now, after the first five rounds, Carlton and Hawthorne sat atop the ladder undefeated, and they clashed in round six at Princes Park, the co-tenants. Oh, yeah. But the Hawks were rarely in the hunt, and despite the same number of scoring shots, they lost by 40 points. The side's response to the win was, was to win the next five games, starting with a 48-point win over fifth-place Melbourne. After leading by just 11 at three-quarter time, the Hawks booted eight goals in the last quarter to blow the game wide open. A 10-goal thrashing of South in round eight was followed by a 27-point win over Fitzroy that put the Hawks on top of the ladder. The next week, trailing Richmond in round 10 at three-quarter time by a couple of points, the Hawks got up by two goals. In a clash with Geelong the following week in round 11, which was on the Queen's birthday Monday at the G, is inaccuracy again that hurt the Hawks early, but they managed to convert a seven-point halftime deficit to a 12-point win. Matthews kicked four and Moncrief two. Hawks then lost to St Kilda by 25, leading to the, leading them to another crucial showdown with North. In a very even struggle at Arden Street, the Hawks got up by eight points, and then by thrashing Footscray by 80 points the week after, the club opened up a three-game break at the top of the ladder. Hey. Yet we're not talking about them on top of the ladder, are we? No. Yeah. But then suddenly, like last year, the Hawks started to struggle. They overcame Wooden Spooners Collingwood but just before losing to Essendon by 16, Carlton by 31. In round 18, the Hawks had an 18-point win over 9th place Melbourne, followed by a 14-point win over 7th place South Melbourne and then a 3-point win over Fitzroy. But then, following that win over Fitzroy, they played that midweek game against North Melbourne, that Wills Cup final yep. in Adelaide. Um, and I think due to this, they lost their next game to Richmond by 32 points. Uh, and this saw them drop off the top of the ladder for the first time since round eight, and in a very similar fashion to the year before. They lost their final home and away match to Geelong by 25 points. However, Kennedy saw the, the bright side of this. He was happy they, they lost because he think they didn't deserve the week's rest and he preferred to play through. They didn't want keep, to try rest. and keep some momentum. Yeah. Well, which I can look at yeah. work for North Melbourne last year. It didn't work for Hawthorne. Um, hauntingly similar, similar to 1975, the Hawks had lost four of their last seven games with the wins being against teams finishing low on the ladder. So yeah. Carlton snatched top spot, Hawthorne in second. Yeah, interesting. Not the way you want to be finishing, right? No. Uh, but still, second on the ladder, yeah. take it. Yeah, yeah. So Michael Moncrief was the lead goal kicker at Hawthorne this year with 97, lethal uh, second with 71, and the Peter Crimmins medal in 1976 went to uh, Lethal Lee for the fourth time. Yeah, really coming to his own. He certainly is. He's got a few more to go as well. <laughs> uh, so that takes us to the very top of the ladder. And the only team we haven't spoken about is obviously the Baggers. The Mighty Blues. Carlton up the top again with uh, 16 wins. But that one draw just keeping them clear and a far healthier percentage also. Uh, so coached by... Oh, sorry. Captain by Alex Cheselenko. Coached by Ian Thunberg. Yeah, because John Nichols resigned as coach three days before the season started. Oof. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I couldn't narrow down the exact reason. Um, it could have been just, he just felt his time was there. Well, a little or? bit. I mean, he had a bit of animosity with the administration who'd forced him to resign to retire a few years. Before That's hand, right. So yeah. I don't know if it was part of that, but he, yeah, he stepped away very three days before the season started, and they replaced him with uh, Ian Thorogood of Demons. Yeah. Demons player. Um, the round one match between Carlton and Collingwood at Princess Park saw a massive all-in brawl that involved virtually every player from both sides, with Collingwood's Phil Carmen the chief target. The Blues had a whopping 40 scoring shots to 23, smashing their nemesis's... Nemesis? Smashing Collingwood by 57. Um, 
full back turn, full forward, Jeff Southby was off target kicking one goal five. They had a narrow win over Essendon at Windy Hill and then they beat the Lions at Waverley in a poor quality game. Round four at the MCG was the club's 1,500th league game. Yeah, wow. Carlton showed Melbourne a clear pin of clear pair of heels for most of the day when they outclassed them at the G to kick their highest ever tally against them 24-13-157 Trevor Kerr with four Ashman, Galton, Southby with three they were then very lucky to beat an inaccurate Swans team at Princes Park in round five by a point in round six we just heard that Carlton smashed the Hawks in the battle of the two undefeated sides the Blues recording a 40 point win there round seven against the Tigers Carlton only kicked a single major in the first term of this match while Richmond piled on six a fighting second quarter comeback evened things up before Carlton launched an onslaught of 10 goals in the third quarter to Richmond's one, which set up a magnificent win over their old enemy. Robert Walls was the star with 10 goals straight and a dominant performance at centre-half forward. At this stage of the season, Carlton were undefeated with seven wins, no losses, and were top of the ladder. However, they would lose their next five games to be sitting third on the ladder, three games behind Hawthorne. Yeah, wow, Okay. In round 13, Carlton took their chances when they selected many top players after injury in an effort to avert their sixth consecutive loss and uh, pulled off a coup when most stood up to the strong Essendon challenge late in the game. The Blues claiming the victory by 17, Rod Ashman best on ground. Oh, so worried a few of them were underdone there. Yeah, but didn't want to risk losing a sixth in a row. Yeah, fair enough. So just avert Did, crisis. Well, paid off. Did. Round 14, Carlton showed a great return to form when they made better use of the windy conditions to score a 57-point win over the Ds. Round 15 at Princes Park against Fitzroy. The Lions scored four goals in four minutes to hold a handy early lead. But the long-kicking Blues finally got in by four points in a game in which Fortune swung back and forth all day. Fitzpatrick, Austin and Jezza were the best in that one. Round 16, the Swans battled bravely against the Blues, but the Blues held them goalless in the opening term. And it was a great effort by the enthusiastic Swans to bang on four quick goals in as many minutes in the final term to take a handy lead. But the more experienced Blues steadied to finally win by six points. Round 17, they inflicted a 31-point defeat on league, ladder, league leaders Hawthorne at Princes Park. It was the Blues' greatest skill, better handball, and efficient forward entries that led to a score of 116, Robert Walls with a five. Round 18, in front of almost 40,000 fans at the MCG, uh, and after an excellent first half of football by both sides, playing the Tigers here, the more skilled Blues came out on top in the second half to score 13-1 to 2-8. This was extra sweet for them as they had uh, pretty much ended Richmond's chances of playing finals this yeah, season. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, it was the Blues' first double win over the Tigers since 62. So the first time they've beaten them twice in the season. Round 19, Carlton recorded its biggest win over St Kilda since 1947 when it beat them by 101 points at Princess Park. Oh. Walls kicked five for the Blues, Jezelenko and Ashman four each. They kicked 12 goals, six in the final quarter. Carlton's Jeez. equal highest fourth quarter score in VFL-AFL history. Yeah, wow. This was followed by an easy 40-point win over the Cats and then their first win at Arden Street since 73 when they beat the Roos by 49 in a canter. The final round game was a cracker against the Doggies. Um, we know Bernie Quinlan touched that goal on the line. Yeah. Kicked, kicked by Tony Pickett, which was going to go through late, but touched and it was, uh, it was a draw. And huge, as we said, and, and definitely cemented that spot for them on the, on the top as well. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the win would have... Also, obviously, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at Carlton this year was Robert Walls with 55. Uh, and the John Nichols medal in 1976 went to Trevor Keogh. Indeed. Well, Charlie, it's that time to get to uh, the Brownlow medal. It is. And let me tell you, the Brownlow medal was won in 1976 by Essendon's Graham Moss. 
Oh yeah, I'm the captain came across from WA. Um, and remember, we're working here with the, uh, the two vote two umpire system. Yes. So he won on 48 votes. <laughs> two, uh, three behind him on 45 was Peter Knights, and then back on 36 was Francis Berg in third place. God, so there's a fair bit of daylight there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just tell you a little bit more about Graham Moss. Oh, nice. All right, so Graham, not, Graham Moss was the hot favourite going into the Brownlow last... Going into the Brownlow. Um, he snatched victory from Peter Knights on the second last vote counted. Um, the Essendon Ruckman and Captain recorded 12 first votes, four second votes and four third votes for a total of 48. Three more than the unlucky Knights who missed seven games because of a broken collarbone. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's huge. So 12... 12 best on grounds between the two umpires. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how... Like, what the crossover... Be really interesting to see that actually, like how much of it was uniform between the, yeah. the umpires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moss paid tribute to the two coaches he'd played under at Essendon, Desi Tudnam and Bill Stephen, as he accepted the award, um, saying that without these two, I could have achieved nothing. And I would also like to thank Bill Stephen further for giving me the chance as captain. I think that helped my game a great deal. Nice. All right, and would you like to know the Coles goals? Yes. Winner. Um. I'm going to say Hawthorne. Geelong. Ah. 331. Okay. Almost a third kicked by Larry Donahue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Huge. That takes us to finals, Charlie. So that takes us into the finals, alrighty. So our first final, our elimination final, played off between fifth place Footscray and uh, fourth place Geelong for uh, the spot in a semi. Um. And I like the symmetry of this, like because we've got Billy Goggin coaching the dogs now, and who does he come up against yes. in the first final? Geelong, yes. just like Bobby Rose coaching the dogs against Collingwood a few years earlier. You're so right; it's, it's it's moved through. Yeah. Uh, so in front of uh, fifty thousand six hundred eighty-six people at VFL Park in Waverley uh, on the fourth of September, yes. and um, it was a seesawing game. Yes, the Cats jumping out to a fourteen-point lead at quarter time, which also saw Larry Donahue. Finally, kick his hundredth goal for the season after two early misses. A very yeah, I, well, I was gonna, a very inaccurate. F- four but, goals eight. Yeah, four, four goals yeah. eight from Geelong. Yeah. However, the dogs hit back with six goals to two in the second term, and the dogs appeared to be on track for victory when they led by thirteen points at the last change. But the cats stormed home, kicking five goals to two in the last quarter to win by seven points. Donahue finished with four, while Jack Hawkins, Bruce Nankervis, and Michael Turner each finished with a career high twenty-two disposals. Mm. So, team high. Team high, okay. So all equal on 22 disposals. Nice. Because 22 disposals isn't a career high. No, no, couldn't, couldn't possibly be. Yeah, so the final scores there, uh, Footscray's 14-11-95, not enough for Geelong's 14-18-102. So then we have a qualifying final, the loser of which will then take on Geelong the week after at the MCG in front of 64,148 people between Hawthorne and North Melbourne and uh, both teams reasonably inaccurate in the first quarter, Tim. Yeah, so we got Hawthorne one six to North Melbourne two three. A really tight first half, uh, first quarter of the game. Um, actually, it was tight throughout. Yeah. It really, it was Hawthorne third quarter here that helped them kick away from the Kangaroos. Uh, Lee Matthews led the way, helping himself to thirty one kicks, seven marks, and booting seven goals six himself. Don Scott and Peter Knights were also excellent. Eden Ablett great on the wings. The Hawks winning here by twenty points. Yeah. So that takes us to that second semi uh, between Carlton and Hawthorne. Yes, between Carlton and Hawthorne uh, in front of... Hang on. 
Let's do that again. Sorry. So that takes us to the first semi-final between Geelong and North Melbourne in front of 71,042 people at the MCG. And, uh, geez, I, th I think uh, Geelong might have been asleep there in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, here's the story of the game. Mickey Nolan, the galloping gasometer, was, was the winner. He, he took his lessons from the previous week's game against um, Hawthorne, sorry. Um, he completely dominated the rucks around the ground. His cunning and clever, his cunning and clever taps to Rovers, Graham Melrose and Gary Cable were responsible for setting up North in the first quarter. They kicked four goals, three to Geelong's one behind. Mm. Uh, but Nolan's big moment came at the 20-minute mark of the second quarter. He took a Jezalenko-style mark, sprinted about five metres and let fly for the goals with a 70-metre torp which went through, never looked like missing. Really? Yeah. Love that. Uh, Kekovic and Sam Newman got into a bit of fisticuffs in this game as well. Um, and one of the surprise moves by Barras was putting Wayne Schimmelbush as the sneaky forward pocket where he ended the day with six goals won. <sighs> Ruse winning this game by 33 points in the end. Yeah. So, yeah, that first quarter, they could never quite come back from it. And then North Melbourne put the foot on them uh, in the last quarter too. So running out winners there, 14-9-93 to Geelong's 8-12-60. Not a bad first year from uh No, not at all. From the new coach. No. Yeah, new coach at Geelong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rod Olsen. Yeah. Good start. Uh, so then we have the second semi-final between Carlton and Hawthorne. So first and second on the ladder. Uh, in front of 60,105 people down at Waverley. Uh, and it was a bit of an arm wrestle. It was. Look, it was seesawing early uh, with Mackay from the Blues dominating consistently. He actually finished the game with four goals. Um, with the wind in the second quarter, the Blues were able to hit the lead and held onto it by four points at half time. They extended this to 10 points with a quick goal on resumption of play. But the Hawks then kicked five goals in a row to rest back the lead um, and eventually run away with it. That, that was really the difference in this game. The wind was owed as much to this burst as it was to the Hawks' defence, who gritted their teeth and were able to stop the Blues in their own forward thrusts. Hawks won by 17. Tuck and Matthews were best on the ground for the Hawks there. Oh, what, a, what a couple of names to hear there. Yeah, so 12-15-87, too good for Carlton's 9-16-70. So both teams have been a bit inaccurate in front of goal there. Uh, so the prelim between Carlton and North is now going to tell us who gets to meet Hawthorne in the grand final. So in front of 69,234 people at Waverley again one week later. Uh, and uh, Carlton, well, no, again, it was a low-scoring first quarter Look, getting us off. Quarter time, North looked in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Graham Melrose left the ground injured and just a few minutes into the second, the Blues led by 17 points. I mean, you can see here from the scores, it was one goal to two goals one at quarter yeah. time. I mean, both low-scoring, but one shot on goal. North yeah. Melbourne is worrying. Um, North wasted key opportunities and Wayne Schimmelbush kicked it out in the full from 30 metres in front while Daryl Sutton missed a sitter soon after. Enter Malcolm Blight, who pulled down a huge mark on Bruce Duell then slotted a goal from 40 metres out. Sam Kekovic was dragged at half-time without a possession to his name So uh, as Peter Keenan came into the game. A seesawing battle continued throughout the second and third quarters and by the final change, just two points separated the teams. Then Carlton kicked the opening goal of the final term and the task seemed to become an almighty one for North Melbourne. But the likes of Daryl Sutton and Barry Cable began to stand tall. The Roos kicked three last quarter goals and then weathered the Carlton attack. And Ron Barassi had a move up his sleeve that turned the game. Ron Barassi, uh, Malcolm Blight into defence. He took a few game-saving marks in the dying minutes 
as North held on by one point. Huge. Yes, Carlton 9-12-66, North Melbourne 10-7-67. So the minor premiers out of the finals, not making the granny. Straight sets. Yeah, huge. So then to the grand final. Mm. And uh, played out between Hawthorne and North Melbourne in front of 110,143 people at the G on Saturday, the 25th of September. Now, just before we put up that phone, I just a little bit about Peter Crimmins here. He oh, yes. had, had really deteriorated by this stage mm-hmm. where he couldn't really leave his house. He was spending a lot of time just in his bed and sleeping and resting. He was invited to the game and he was going to be driven to the game and given a good seat to watch the game, uh, but woke up on that morning and decided he couldn't, couldn't oh. go and watch because he was just feeling too ill. So um, he sent a telegram to the team, which we'll probably hear about when we talk to uh, the captain in a minute. Yeah. Um, but they were definitely doing it for him in Ugh. this game. So let's put that... Uh, that phone up and have a chat. Yes, I would love to. Uh, g'day, Don. What? E what? Uh, Don, um, we just wanted to have a chat to you about today's grand final. Mate, mate, I need not- a break. I can't continue. I need you to go. Oh. Oh. Hello? Hello, who's this? Yeah, it's me, Peter Knotts. Oh, Peter, uh, thanks so much for picking up the phone, mate. We just tried to talk to Don and it uh, didn't sound like he was in the mood for a chat. Yeah, well, he's got lots of media commitments, but seems to be picking and choosing his battles today. I'm here and I'm happy to chat. How are you all feeling in the rooms after that very emotional victory? Yeah, well, the players overcame a lot of adversity. There was a lot of pressure on this team because of the psychological build-up, with people saying we couldn't win five games in one season against them. It was a weak argument, but if you keep hammering at it, it gets through eventually. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. Well, can we first uh, just take you back to the aftermath of of that 75 grand final? Now, Crimo wasn't picked to play and the ruse beats you and there are allegations that you tanked. And um, I hear that uh, that meeting wasn't a great meeting. Yeah, I think they had a meeting just after the game. I think that's what he's talking about. Uh No, it wasn't. It was a very un-Hawthorne-like performance last year. Once North got a roll on, the crowd was behind them and kept urging them on. The crowd loves an underdog. We were helpless to stop them. But I guess the good thing, in a way, that next morning we sowed the seed for 76 and the pre-season that was coming up. Because Kennedy let us know in no uncertain terms how unacceptable our performance was and there was only one way to do something about it and to start preparing now, after the 75 grand final. Um, looking at the results since that game, you seem determined not to lose to North Melbourne again. You beat them twice during the season, once in the final, and you also beat them in that Championship of Australia. Yeah, that's true. Kennedy got this through us in the aftermath of last year. We developed a bit of rivalry with the Kangaroos. It was rivalry and respect. But we were also embarrassed and wanted to make amends. Yeah, mate, it's hard to talk about this season without mentioning the little fella, Peter Crimmins. Uh, did he cast a shadow over the season? Mate, what was it like not having him? Yeah, look, there was no doubt that once we realised the severity of his illness, it was evident that he wouldn't be back and his life was in danger. And it did affect some of us, particularly those who were close to him. We had to look at the season from a club perspective, looking to bounce back from a loss. We had something to prove to ourselves and something to prove for Crimo. Now, the season saw the Hawks with a great start, but similarly to 1975, you stumbled late in the season and dropped to second. 
was there worries from you or the coach about you know, suffering a similar fate? No, to be honest, Kennedy wasn't worried at all. He knew us well, knew our resolve, and knew we had improvement left in us. So you came up against rivals North Melbourne in the semi and got over them in a hard-fought match. Then you made it to another grand final with another tough win, this time over Carlton. Mate, the week off must have been welcome. It was, but it can also make you a bit antsy. We had it last year and it didn't work in our favour. We needed to stay sharp. And did you expect to play North Melbourne again? It seems we're just fated to dance around each other at the moment. It was just fate, it seemed, and the perfect way for us to redeem ourselves. How similar was it to past grand finals you've been involved with? You know, 71 and 75? Yeah, there was not the normal build-up. Slapping and the rah-rah-rah and the noise factor. And it was much more emotional pre-match address from Kennedy. Uh, would you describe, how would you describe the mood in the rooms? It was sombre. The motivation was there when we got to the grand final, but you know what? That motivation was more about Crimo because we knew how unwell he was. And when that telegram was read out, words to the effect of, it's going to be the toughest hundred minutes and, uh, you know, I'll be riding every bump. I'm sure you'll be there in the end. Good luck from the little fella. From my point of view, the result was going to be a foregone conclusion. There was no other way we are going to lose that game. That must have been hard. Mate, how did the players react to that message? Yeah, we were all very emotional. I tried to take the emotion out of it, but I was disappointed and sad. But I had to lap it up and get on with it. But it did affect a few players. Now, Barassi played a few tricks to start the game, as, as he usually does. Malcolm Blight and Steve Nicky were found playing in defence. And you had his star player, Keith Gregg, playing a tight one against you, one of your stars, Lee Matthews. What do you make of that? Well, I think the joke was on North Melbourne there, because uh, who got the first goal of the match? Um, it was... Uh... Uh, uh, there you go, Lee Matthews. <laughs> yeah, so you could see what North were doing, but we knew that Barney would rise to the challenge. Uh, was, but was part of that challenge clobbering uh, Keith Gregg on the head? Well, look, you play on a hard, tough player like Lee Matthews, you have to expect that he's going to throw his weight around a bit. That's a risk of putting your best player on him, I suppose. Now, the first quarter was hard and fast with uh, your boys constantly attacking the goals, but kicking 5-6 to the ruse 4-2, you probably should have been a bit further ahead. Yeah, we thought so too. But it was early and we're happy with the way we're controlling the play. Now, the second quarter was also an arm wrestle, especially early, but slowly the tide started to turn for the Hawks. Is that how you guys saw it? Yeah, slowly is a good way to describe it. Kelvin Matthews and the bloke you spoke to earlier, Don Scott, kicked important goals. And mate, if John Henry had kicked straight, the game would have been all but over. Yeah, he kicked one goal six up to that point, hadn't he? At least he was getting a lot of the sharing. What was the mood in the rooms during the long break, Peter? Well, we're all looking at each other, knowing that only half the job was done. Things like that. There was no carry-on or bravado. Kennedy didn't have too much to say. It was just instilled in us that we knew what to do. And uh, did the little fella come up again as motivation? Yeah, he did. He just gave us a little reminder that Crimo would be listening to the game, so not to let him down. After half-time, it was fair to say the game wasn't a spectacle, but North started to mix things up a bit. Uh, Barassi making a move and he put Brett Crosswell on for Peter Keenan, which immediately provided North Melbourne with a target. 
Yeah, I remember being out there thinking that North were getting desperate, but also knowing that sometimes moves like this can swing a game. Matt, but it did take over 20 minutes for a goal to be kicked. The Roos kicking two for the term to get within 10 points of you guys. And uh, the Hawks continue to have problems up forward with only kicking one goal six for the quarter. By three quarter time, the Roos uh, had managed to close the margin to just 10 points. So knowing how the Kangaroos finished the game in 75, were there any worries? It was worrying. The game was so evenly contested, tied up until three quarter time. Were there any inspirational messages from Kennedy at the last break? Nah, it was just the usual. He was pretty calm. Knew we had been on top all day and just needed to control the game and play one more good quarter of football to bring home that flag. Now you went out and really controlled that last quarter, just as Kennedy wanted. Yeah, Henry finally kicked straight. Kelvin Matthews and I think it was Moncrief. Uh, they all kicked goals and by then we could taste it. Now, Peter, let's not discredit you in all this as well. You took several big marks, actually high-flying marks, uh, in that last quarter to repel many attempts on goal by North Melbourne. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, we, well, we did manage to get back on top there. I definitely took my opportunities, were able to turn back north and then drive the ball back to our forwards, which left them in possession long enough to kick the necessary number of goals to win. Yeah, mate, you held them goalless in that final quarter to win the match by an even five. Yeah, we did, but full credit must go to North as well. They were still trying right to the end. North were a very, very courageous side, and they were obviously a tired side. And the feeling when the siren went? Was it, did it feel like redemption after the loss of 75? No, nah, no, nah, it was more a relief that we'd won it for the little fella. You know, that he'd been around to hear us win it for one last time for him. Mate, and in your eyes, who was best on ground out there today? Uh, John Hendry. Uh, despite kicking 2-9, he'd be right up there. He continued to present all day. And I should mention Jeff Ablett, who had an outstanding September. Other outstanding players were probably Barry Rawlings, David O'Halloran, and Kel Kelvin Moore, of course. Um, so what's the pl plan now, can we ask? We know Crimo's very ill. Uh, is there some way you can kind of celebrate this win with him? Yeah, great question. Well, we'd, we'd love to go and take the cup to him to show him that we won for him. And how do you reckon this premiership will re be remembered in the years to come? I have no doubt in my mind that this cup, the 76 cup, will always be known as Crimo's Cup, even though the premiership is always bigger than the individual. Well, Peter, we really appreciate you taking the time, especially you know, when Don Scott wouldn't. Yeah, great. Thanks, fellas. Feel free to call again any time. Happy to talk to you after all the premierships we hopefully go on and win. Mate, we might take you up on that offer. Now, go and take that cup to Crimo. We will. Thanks, all. All right, here's some stats from that game. So, final score was? Final score was uh, Hawthorne's 13-22-100 to North Melbourne's 10-10-70. Right, goal kickers for the Hawks. We've got Moncrief with three. Uh, Kelvin Matthews, Hendry and Goad all with two and singles to Lee Matthews, Don Scott, Rollings and Martello. For the Ruse, it was two to Cable, Icky and Burns, one to Cowton, Burn, Moore and Melrose. Best for the uh, Hawks were Knights, Hendry, Doge and Rollings. Um, so a little point of interest here, like Peter Knight kind of told us, after some of the celebrations at Glen Ferry, Brian Doge, Bernie Jones, El Martello, Peter Knights, Beatty Barry Rollings and John Hendry all went back to Peter Crimmins' house with the cup nice. and let him hold it and to celebrate the win with him. 
Um, and there's that very famous photo of them yeah. around him holding the cup in his bed and them all sitting around him. Um, little did they know it would be the last time they saw him as the Tuesday following the win, he passed away Ugh. at around 5am on Tuesday the 28th of September, aged just 28. Oh, awful. And you've got a little poem there for us as well. Yes. So uh, this was written uh, by just a, a, fan. a fan. Yeah. Um, the little blonde bombshell burst onto the football field and showed us just what determination and guts is all about. With abundant youth and strength, he showed us how to play the game and no matter what the odds, to always try. He won respect and admiration as he played it hard, but always fair. And most of all, he won our hearts, that impish, cheekish little guy. Even when the reaper cut his manhood low, he still fought on, with courage personified. And at the end, with friendship, warmth and laughter, he showed us how to die. Yeah. Um... And the book, if, if you get a chance to read Dan Eddy's book, it's, it's very well written and actually goes into what happens after he dies and the funeral and the effect it has on his wife as well. Um, yeah, well, well worth a read if you, if you yeah. read for a good football book. Um, I didn't think I'd enjoy it knowing that he dies and it'd be depressing and stuff, but it's actually very interesting. Um, all right, some other results then. Other winners around the place. We've got the reserves. We've got Collingwood defeating North Melbourne in the reserves. Mm-hmm. Bit of foreshadowing there. In the under-19s, we've got North Melbourne defeating Richmond by three points, which means the McClellan Trophy goes to... North Melbourne. North Melbourne. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's wrap this up, Charlie. Let us do it. We've got bits and bobs. Um, we've got... Um, let me do some retirees. Oh, please. All right. So retiring, we've got John Greening of Collingwood. Never really coming back from that knockout against St Kilda. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, 107 goal games, 70 goals. Uh, we've got Desmar of Hawthorne after 198 games. Uh, Adrian Gallagher, Carlton Footscray. I think he played one game for the Kangaroos as That's well. Right. 220 games. Sid Jackson of Carlton, 136 games, two flags. Gary Crane of Carlton, 148 games, three flags. Richmond's Dick Clay, 213 games, four flags. Barry Lawrence of St Kilda, 126 games. Doug Searle of Collingwood and Fitzroy, 143 games. David Thorpe, former Footscray captain, won a flag with the Tigers, 178 games. Dennis Pagan, North Melbourne, 143 games. Graham Moss, Brownlow medalist, never to play in the VFL again. Yeah. Wins it and off he goes. Next player who would not play after, after winning the Brownlow would be Tom Mitchell. Oh. That's it, and he broke his legs. So yeah. Not that long. Uh, Jeff Blethen as well, 84 games, uh, 216 goals. Graham Jerker Jenkin playing most of his games with Collingwood, a few with Essendon, and John Williams playing most of his games with Essendon and a few at Collingwood. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to those stats for the season, Charlie. Let's wrap it up. Of course. The wooden spoon this year went to... Timmy, I know you want to tell me. Collingwood. Of course it did. Um, yeah, let's enjoy that because... Won't be happening. We'll, no, we'll we can, as I just said, the reserves yeah. premiership there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what else have we got? The Brownlow medalist? Uh, Graham Moss of Essendon with 48 votes. Yeah. <laughs> common medal? The common medal went to Larry Donoghue of Geelong with 99 goals, 105 all up for the season. Yep. Um, uh, and here we go. The mark of the year was Billy Picken of Collingwood. Ah, okay. The goal of the year, Keith Gregg of North Melbourne. We've got gold here now as well. How could it not be Blighty's 95 metre? Like, that's unbe- yeah. Oh, yeah, it just got longer, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rising star, my, my retrospective rising star, went to David O'Halloran of Hawthorne. 
coming in first. Terry Bright coming in second, and the Big Dipper, uh, Robert Dipper Domenico, coming in third there. Most behind was Michael Moncrief with 63. Mm-hmm. The highest score was also Hawthorne with 25 goals, 22, 172. And here is the Premiership list as of 1976. We've got Collingwood with 13, Essendon 12, Melbourne 12, Carlton 11, Richmond 9, Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, South Melbourne 3, Hawthorne 3, Footscray 1, North Melbourne 1, St Kilda 1. Everyone's got one. I like that it's a complete list. Yeah, me too. Well, that brings us Don't to love who sits at the top of that list, but <laughs> no. But they just want the wooden it. spoon. Exactly. Hooray. Hooray. No. Um, so that brings us to the end of 1976. Yep. A, and 77 is a big one. Yeah. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah. It's a good time for footy. It is. Love it's this. More and more interesting. Love this. What a good year for, for the Hawks. I'm glad they got it done in this, in this year. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's great. Um, so fantastic. So... Uh, and to, well, guys, make sure uh, if you're enjoying this, uh, let us uh, let us know. Give us a review. It helps other people find us yep. as well. Hit us up as, is, as well if we mispronounce someone's name, which we often do. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and also, if if you know if you hear something or a little anecdote that you could add to a, to a season coming up, or yep. know someone who would like to sort of chip in with something, we'd love that. Absolutely. Uh, that that sort of living history is what what makes this the most interesting. Uh, as, as interesting as it can be. Uh, so looking forward to uh, doing 1977 with you, Timmy, and uh, looking forward to all of you listening in. Hooroo! To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.